Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good afternoon, everyone, on the uh, east coast of the United States, the central region, afternoon as well, and then on the west coast, I think you still have morning and around the world in the various time zones. (laughs) My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. I think I'm more fully functional today versus last week. I apologize. and uh, I'll try to do the best I can to be able to be fully functional on this program. What I mean is that I had a couple of uh, pauses uh, for 30 seconds or 45 seconds last week, um, and my other uh, Bible study is still a decent Bible study, uh, but please uh, ignore that, and you know I'm just a human being still, <laughs> like, like you all, and I have various uh, issues and problems in life like many of you, so... Anyway, today we're going to talk about something that I just um, stumbled upon. By the way, that is a website. <laughs> uh, to Bishvat, that's a Jewish holiday that uh, I think we ought to seriously consider. Um, it's nothing wrong with um, various traditions. Uh, if those traditions line up with the Bible, uh, we need to understand. Let's turn to John chapter 4. Remember what he told the Samaritan. Uh, There's a lot of truth in in this one passage here, but I'm just going to focus on on one of them. Uh, He states uh, right here in uh, John chapter 4, verse 19, actually I'll quote the woman what she said first. As the woman, this in the King James Version, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, because he told her her uh, past uh, issues or sins. Uh, Verse 20, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. In verse 21, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So let's pause here. This was a prophecy that he told her because, of course, she realized he was a prophet, so that's what prophets do. They one of the things that they do, particularly the kind of prophet that Yeshua was, is predict the future. And he did. And what he predicted here in verse 21 was the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70 or A.D. 69, for some historians. Uh, and, of course, when the temple was destroyed, the uh, the sacrificial uh, worship service was uh, totally destroyed as well. In verse 22, you worship ye not what? We know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. That word salvation in the Greek is soterea, and it means rescue or safety. Deliver. Deliver. Deliver from what? Well, it can mean deliver from physical death, but ultimately it's also deliver, deliverance from not dying permanently, uh, being able to have immortal life. And I'm going to quote a scripture uh, later on in this program. Uh, but you can jot down this scripture. Because I was looking for one scripture that this may not be the scripture that explains what the gospel is all about, but it is, is, is certainly a significant one. It's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, we, we can go to that here. Uh, this pause, and I'll just read it <clears throat> to you as I go to it. Um, and then we go back to uh, John chapter 4, verse 22. So let's go to 
Hold your place there in John 4, verse 22, and let's go to uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 10. 2 Timothy 1, verse 10. And for those who want to um, call in, could you give me about at least 10 minutes before the end of the program, you can call in. And the call-in number is uh, 347-945-7525. That's 347-945-7525. Give me until uh, 10 minutes remaining in the program, and uh, you can call in. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10 states this, and this is in the King James, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the King James, it has Jesus Christ, but the Hebraic way of saying it is Yeshua, Messiah. Christ means Messiah. And uh, Jesus uh, in Hebrew is Yeshua or Yahshua for some people, who have abolished death. All right, so, but but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who have abolished death. So that's the reason why he ultimately came, ladies and gentlemen, to abolish death. Because if he didn't come, he death would still rule over us. But because he came and died for humanity, he took upon the death penalty on his own back, as Isaiah 53 clearly states, all of our sins he put on his back. Uh, that caused the death penalty, and have brought life and immortality to light, and that word light, in the original Greek, means photizo, and it means to shed rays, to shine, to brighten up. So, he added more understanding, on, or he brought to light immortality through what? The gospel. So, Again, the gospel is the good news of Yeshua dying for humanity, removing the death penalty from humanity, and giving humanity the opportunity to have life and immortality through the gospel, the good news. So this is a very powerful scripture that really defines, in a, in a summary fashion what the gospel is all about of course the gospel involves the following let's turn to ephesians chapter five uh why do we marry well i covered that last week and but why why did god set up the institution of marriage of course to to uh create other human beings but there's there's another purpose for it and in Ephesians 5, verse 31, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That means unity. Hebraic understanding, ekad, which is found in the Shema. Uh, the Shema, for those who are listening to me for the first time, is a Jewish, a good Jewish tradition of going over Deuteronomy chapter 6. Well, let's hold your place in Ephesians 5, verse 31, and we'll go there. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It says, here, and here in Hebraic understanding of here means to understand, to understand, O Israel. Now, I have to always include my disclaimer for those especially who have listened to me for the first time about Israel. Israel, ladies and gentlemen, is not always the Jews when you see Israel in the Bible. Israel is also referring to those ten lost tribes who the great Torah scholar Rashi states will be discovered and brought back to the land of Israel in the end times. Uh, those ten lost tribes aren't lost for those who know, and it won't be lost to you right now if you're listening to me and if you uh, go prove what I tell you. Those ten lost tribes consists today of the United States, the countries in Northwestern Europe, Europe, including the British Commonwealth, Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, and those who believe in Yeshua Messiah as the King of Israel. If you submit to the, any king, you have to submit 
uh, by their laws. And, of course, the king of Israel has rules and regulations for uh, his subjects to follow. So anyway, understand, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you can prove what I just told you by going to Britam.org, B-R-I-T-A-M.org, and looking at your Davidi's website. It's very comprehensive, very detailed and specific. He has proof biblically. He also has proof outside the Bible or secular proof. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Understand, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That word in original Hebrew is ekad. It means united. United. So he's united. He's a united Lord. And then when you look in Genesis, uh, when he created um, mankind, in Genesis chapter uh, 2, it states that uh, let us make man in our image. Us, plural. Verse 5, And you shall love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And then in verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto thy children. Diligently, that the Hebraic word for that is shanan, and it means to pierce, to inculcate, to really diligently teach your children. Um, a couple of weeks ago I gave a study on how to train your children in Yah or God's way, and I suggest you highly uh, listen to that Bible study if you're not doing Bible study with your children every day, if you're not teaching them to pray, if you're not teaching them to put the Almighty God first in their lives. And you shall teach them diligently unto thy children, and, and shall talk of them when you sit in thine house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon thine hand. This is where the Jews get the righteous tradition of a tefillin from. And they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And you shall write them, this is a mezuzah, Write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. So that's how serious that we should take the king of Israel's rules and regulations. So let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Getting back to the mystery of marriage. Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32. The mystery. This is a great mystery. But it will not be a mystery for you anymore. But I speak concerning Christ and the church, meaning it won't be a mystery for those who have never heard this before, if you're listening. And if you're understanding, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ is the husband of the assembly. What is the assembly? The assembly are the people who believe in him, and they show it by what they do, not by lip service. So, the gospel is about that as well. It's a love story. It's about our husband, Yeshua Messiah, and the bride, his bride, his wife, those who believe in him. So the good news is about that as well. If you are listening to me, if you're understanding what I'm saying, then he's calling you to be his bride, the first fruits. Ephesians 5, verse 33, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she revere a husband. Now, you can look at this two ways. Two different interpretations. They're both correct. If you're in a literal marriage, then this applies to the husband and the wife. The wife should revere a husband. That word revere in the original Greek is 
verb eel, and it means to frighten, to be alarmed, to be in awe of. That's a better, to be in awe of. So a wife should be in awe of her husband, not worship her husband, but admire her husband, look up to her husband for leadership and guidance and strength. Well, if you're not married, and if you're a woman, you should look at the Messiah the same way, and a man. It doesn't make a difference because we, a man or a woman, spiritually, is the bride. So we ought to look at our husband the same way as a wife should look toward her husband. And we ought to look toward Yeshua, that's what I mean, as our spiritual husband. And many people understand that, and unfortunately, um, a significant amount of wives that don't know any better, they don't revere their husbands because uh, they haven't been taught how to do it. And getting back, let me let me talk about the husbands now because husbands aren't perfect either. And it says uh, that we should love our wife even as ourselves. And we have to learn how to do that. We, as husbands, have to learn how to love our wives as we love ourselves. And Yeshua definitely has proven that he loves mankind, especially his wife as himself, because he laid down his life not only for mankind, but also for his wife. So the gospel, the good news, is also about the bride, which is the church, the assembly, and the husband. And once they become married, which is revealed in Revelation chapter 19, I went over that last week, we will go as husband and wife in the spiritual sense that we don't quite understand yet, and we will produce children the same way that um, children are being produced, sons of God are being produced right now through the Holy Spirit. So that that that's really the, the picture of the gospel, and hopefully I have enough time to go into more detail about the elements of the gospel. Perhaps I'll give another Bible study. Well, I will. I'll give another Bible. I don't know if it's going to be next week, but... I'll give a Bible study on what, 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 what is the good news, <laughs> and what does it consist of? Because it, it, it definitely is is it's not just the love relationship between uh, Yeshua and the assembly. It's is a lot more than that, and the Bible reveals that. But it's it's good news, and we all need good news. We all need good news. And that's what this whole Bible is about. Sure, it has bad news, but the bad news leads to good news. Everything's going to be okay in the end. I know, I know many of us have heard that. Everything's going to be okay. And it is. Everything's going to be okay in the end. But Yah, or God, wants to minimize as much suffering as possible for all of mankind and individually. And you can do that by learning how to obey all the commandments, all the commandments of God to the best of your ability. Now let's turn back to John, chapter 4, verse 22, in the King James. You worship ye know not what, what we know what we worship, we know what we worship. That's what Yeshua was stating here. For salvation is of the Jews or Judaism. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but it has a lot of truth in it. Verse 23, but the hour comes and now is when the true worshipers, the true, not the false, the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, spirit meaning you won't be able to go to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles exactly the way they did it back then. But you'll do the best that you can if you can afford to go to Jerusalem. If you can't, you'll do it in the spiritual way where you live at. And that's what's being done today. So this is a prophecy that has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled as I speak. And in truth, what is truth? Psalm 119, verse 142. Truth is the instruction of the Torah, which is translated law in the King James, the instructions of Yah, or Elohim, or Yahweh, or Yehovah. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now, 
Verse 24, God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. So this is a very important scripture to understand, and let's turn to Romans chapter 1 so you understand the importance of the Jews. I love the Jews, and there's a lot of truth in what they teach, but there's some error as well. And one of the responsibilities of the Messiah was to come and straighten out that error, and he did, and he summarized it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You should study that. Anyway, in Romans chapter 1, actually, Romans chapter 3, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 1, what advantage has the Jew? Okay, let's stop. God is telling us that the Jew has an advantage. The Greek word for advantage is per isos. It means superabundant, superior, preeminence. So the Jews have a superiority or preeminence. And this is what the Word of God is telling you, folks. All right, so let's pay attention. Oh, what profit is of the circumcision? That, if you let me explain what that means. Whenever Paul uses the word circumcision, in most cases he's referring to the fact of the Jews and their traditions. The oral law, the mission of the Talmud, all their traditions. Verse 2, much every way, chiefly because they, that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Oracles in Greek means eon, it means utterance. They were given the utterances of God. All right? So it's very important to to not when you when you think of Judaism and the Jews don't don't look at that lightly don't overlook it because I know from experience there's a lot of truth in Judaism there's some error too but there is a lot of truth and there's another scripture let me see if I can look it up here he warns us about the teaching And Matthew 16, verse 11, says, How is it that you do not understand, Matthew 16, verse 11, that I spake not to you concerning bread, that you should beware of the leaven, or the teachings, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He says, be aware. He says, he doesn't say, don't totally discount it. Uh, he didn't say, ignore all their teachings. He says, be careful, or beware, that we're, Beware in the original Greek is pros eco, and it means to pay attention. Be cautious about. That's what it means. Be cautious about it. Uh, and then verse 12 of Matthew 16, Then understood they how that he, he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then in Matthew chapter 23, In verse 1, he says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Meaning that if they're preaching properly, they're doing what Moses said and they're teaching. And I, I listen to the Jews when it matches up with what the Bible says, including the first five books. Uh, verse 3, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, observe and do, but do not ye after their works. And this can be interpreted correctly. If, if they're telling you to do something and they're not doing it, then you, you have an issue. But also, verse 2 is the key to understanding this whole thing. If they sit in Moses' seat. All right? If they don't sit in Moses' seat, and if they're not preaching what Moses would preach or teach, then you don't believe them. So you have to be aware of their teachings, all right? And you must ch you must do what the Bereans did in, in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. And this just doesn't apply to rabbis. It applies to people like myself or anyone else who is teaching out of the Bible. 
uh, Acts 17, verse 11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. You should receive, that's the kind of attitude you ought to have when you study the Bible. It shouldn't be, oh, i got to study the Bible. No, you, you ought to study the Bible with readiness of mind. That that Greek word is pro-omia, and it means um, readiness, being ready, willing. And search the scriptures daily, daily, whether those things were so. And then you look above this, uh, it's talking about what they were learning through uh, Shaul, Paul. So that's very important to understand as well. So I wanted to go over a little world news here before I get into the Bible study of uh, to Bishvat. And let's check www.watch.org. Uh, it says the Supreme Court, and you can go with me if you want here, watch.org, W-A-T-C-H dot org. It says the Supreme Court blocks, this is the Supreme Court in Israel, blocks IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, plan to evacuate Palestinian outposts in E1. Here we go again with uh, the land issue, and the Palestinians are uh, irritating the uh, <laughs> the lying the lion, the Jews, about this. It says, four Palestinian landowners submit petitions claiming land in dispute E1 is a part of the Benoit Heritage Project. Army says new construction is political provocation. The Prime Minister to U.S. Senators, my priority is Iran nuclear march. In meeting with visiting U.S. Senators, Netanyahu expresses appreciation of U.S. moves against Iran. Minority Leader McConnell touts broad bipartisan support for Israel, IAEA chief, not optimistic about upcoming Iran talks. So here we go, um, same old thing with Israel, and we need to, to keep watch on what's going on in the news in reference to that. Now, as far as this country is concerned, um, again, this is I really implore you and, and motivate you to regularly review this website, the economiccollapseblog.com. is one of the best websites out here that really gives you information about gold coins, silver coins, emergency food, survival supplies, uh, self-defense, seed banks, uh, preppers. Those are people that are preparing for the obvious economic downfall in this country. Uh, it's a tremendous website, and take advantage of it, folks, while it's still online. Read a couple of headlines here. It says the federal government hands out money to 128 million Americans every month, which is uh, sad. But it tells you uh, that the government can't keep on doing this because we're drowning in debt. Another headline here it says, can America survive if Americans no longer agree on a core set of shared values? I'll read a little bit of this. It says, what does America stand for? That question is a lot more complicated than you might think. Our founding fathers established a republic that was based on a set of shared values that were embodied in the text of the U.S. Constitution. But today, many of our politicians openly disregard the Constitution whenever they want, and it has become fashionable to mock the U.S. Constitution. For example, the New York Times recently published a piece by Georgetown University professor Louis Michael Setman entitled, Let's Give Up on the Constitution. I don't believe that, but it's right here. <laughs> that's that's really, folks, how we have really went over to the dark side, in which he publicly called the Constitution archaic and downright evil. Oh, this is just terrible. This is a man that has been teaching constitutional law to the next generation of lawyers at one of the top universities in the nation for nearly 40 years. Unfortunately, Sedman is not an aberration. The truth is that law schools all over America are absolutely packed with professors that teach that we should consider the U.S. Constitution a living, breathing document that must evolve as society evolves. Here we go with the false doctrine of, of evolution influencing our law, a law-abiding um, constitution, and how we think about law. Anyway, they also teach that when we find something in the Constitution that does not work for us today, that we should just ignore it. 
And it's kind of like our attitude about the Bible. If, if it's something in the Bible that we don't like, we just ignore it, right? In fact, in his New York Times article, Sefman insists that constitutional disobedience is as old as the Republic. But if we can just ignore the U.S. Constitution whenever we want, where does that leave us? Should we be able to ignore all laws when they are not convenient for us? And <laughs> that's what we're doing. And it reminds me of a prophecy in Romans chapter 10 and also in Hosea. But I'll just read it in the New Testament or the Apostolic Scriptures. Uh, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is this, that they might be saved. Verse 2. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. And yes, we do. We have our Protestant churches. and We have our Jewish synagogues. We have all kinds of zeal for God. And we have our um, Muslim temples and so forth, but not according to knowledge. Not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Ignorant means you just don't know. Uh, that Greek word has got agnoio, and it means not to know, uh, don't understand. So they don't understand God's righteousness. Righteousness, Psalm 119, 172, has something to do with the commandments. It is the commandments, all the teachings and doctrines of Elohim. And going about to establish their own righteousness. What did I just read? We're, we're establishing our own, hey, forget about the Constitution, which has had everything to do with the Bible. Many people don't know that. To establish their own righteousness, have some have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. That's a prophecy, folks. That's definitely being done as I speak. It has been done for a long time, unfortunately. Okay, so I can't continue to read all the rest of these uh, headlines and, and uh, the article content. You can go and look at that if you want, because I have to. I have like 27 minutes left here. I have to get... To the Bible study about Tubishvat. So, for those who received my newsletter, you did get some information about it, but I'm just going to basically uh, highlight what I, I wrote in the newsletter. So, wh what is the importance of the seven species in reference to the health of mankind? And this is what Tubishvat is all about. Uh, let's read that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8. Deuteronomy 8, verse 8, says, A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey. So those are the, the seven species, wheat, barley, vines, which is grapes, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Now, the above or the seven species are good for the health of your body and helps prevent the common diseases of mankind, which is heart disease, cancer and diabetes and for those who received my newsletter i included a link to uh to Bishvat and healing and it's a nice little video and and also there's a pdf document you can download and print out that will go into detail of those uh, species and what they do for you but uh my mama needs who was a a great tour scholar stated the following in his Mishnah Torah, which is an interpretation of uh, his interpretation of the Mishnah, uh, the, the Judaism or the Jewish uh, oral law, written down, uh, chapter 4, law 1. It says, a healthy, and he states here, a healthy and complete body is of the ways of God, for it is impossible to understand or know anything regarding the knowledge of the Creator when a person is sick. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's very difficult. Uh, therefore, a person must distance himself from anything that destroys the body and conduct himself towards things that recuperate and strengthen it. Now, that, I, that, I totally agree on that one. It says, therefore, a person must distance himself from anything that destroys the body and conduct himself towards things that recuperate and strengthen it. All right, so that's important to understand. Now, another thing to understand is that uh, there are four New Years, according to Judaism. Um, the one that we're concerned about is the one on the first of Shabbat, 
the new year for the tree, uh, which occurs on, actually, there were, there were two different, uh, the school of Shammai, uh, which was a, a faction of Judaism uh, during the first century, ruled that on the first of Shabbat they should do it, and then the house of Hillel said on the 15th. So, But it was determined that on the 15th of Shabbat that they would celebrate um, to Bishvat. All right, so the new year for the tree. So that's what this is all about, to Bishvat, the new year for the tree. And the other new years, um, on the first of Nisan is the new year for the kings and for the festivals. On the first of Elu, the new year for the tithing of animals. And uh, the first of Nisan is between March and April. On the first of Elu, August, September is the new year for the tithing of animals. Um, on the first of Tishri, September, October, that's a new year for years, for the sabbatical years and for the jubilee years and for the planting and for the vegetables for agriculture there. Okay, so currently right now the Jews celebrate to Bishvat on the 15th of Shavuot. And I'm just going to quote this from Judaism 101. It says, To Bishvat is the new year for the purpose of calculating the age of trees for tithing. Uh, this is based on Leviticus uh, 19. Leviticus 19. Verse 23 to 25. I'm going to read that to you here. It says, And when you shall come into the land, and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then you shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. Three years shall it be as uncircumcised until you should not be eaten of. But in the fourth year all the fruit therefore shall be holy to praise the Lord. And on the twenty-fifth and the fifth year, no, I'm sorry, not the twenty-fifth, but verse twenty-five, <laughs> Leviticus 19, verse twenty-five, and in the fifth year shall you eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. I am the Lord your God, and and one of the things that I, I want to point out here before I forget is that uh, one of the things that to Bishvat represents is that man is like a tree and we should bear fruit. There's several scriptures in the Bible about that, uh, and hopefully I'll quote some of them uh, today. Uh, but getting back to, to this here, uh, Leviticus 19, 23, 25, which states that the fruit from trees may not be eaten during the first three years. The fourth year's fruit is for God, and after that you can eat the fruit. Each tree is considered to have aged one year as of to Bishvat. So if you planted a tree on Shabbat 14, it begins the second year the next day. But if you plant a tree two days later on Shabbat 16, it does not reach the second year until the next two Bishvat. There are a few customs or observances related to this holiday. One custom is to eat a new fruit on this day or to eat from the seven species. And uh, you can make a nice vegetarian pilaf from the Shabbat. Amenem, which is uh, the seven species, a bed of cooked bulgur wheat or wheat berries and barley, topped with figs, dates, raisins, and pomegranate seeds, and so forth. And some people plant trees in this day. He says, in my childhood, Jewish children commonly went around collecting money to plant trees in Israel at this time of year. So anyway, biblically, trees are compared with the following. I got this from Plant, Nurturing, Repairing, Providing, Giving by First Fruits of Zion on pages 12 to 13. It represents mankind and the Torah. And I state here in the newsletter, mankind must bear fruit, good behavior and deeds. And studying and meditating on the Torah, the instructions of Elohim, gives us the um, the ability to do so. So we, we must allow our light to shine before others. And this is explained in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. And we should desire for tikkun olam, that's Hebrew for healing and repairing the world. That's the type of work that each believer should do. We should all contribute toward healing and repairing the world. Healing and repairing the world. That's what Tubishvat represents as well. And trees are a symbol of immortality and eternity. And Tubishvat takes us back to Gan Eden, which is Hebrew for the Garden of Eden. And this is a beautiful quote here that I will quote from this book that I highly suggest you get. It's called The Jewish Holidays by Michael Strasfeld, pages 184 to 185. On Tabishvat, we return to the place of our first encounter with trees, the Garden of Eden. We enter once again into harmony with nature as we were in the garden, 
the antagonism between humans and nature is set aside. We were driven from the garden, driven from a symbiotic relationship with nature into one of bitter struggle. However, on Tabishvat, we reconnect to trees and to the tree of life. We grasp the eternity symbolized by the long-living trees. We glimpse what the garden was and how life could be again. No thorns or thistles, no returning into dust. Of course, the thorns or thistles are the problems and issues that we all have. That was so unnecessary if our elder father, Adam, did not choose to eat of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or, of course, his, uh, his wife, Eve, which is our elder mother, and then no returning unto dust, which represents death. So, how do we celebrate Tubishvat? Tubishvat is not a Torah commandment, is not a law or regulation in the Bible. However, it is a good tradition. It is a good tradition that helps us to focus on Elohim, and we should desire good traditions. Let's look at scriptural proof of that. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. And I've already read you the importance of Judaism. Uh, Yeshua stated that his salvation is of the Jews back then, and it's still the same today. Uh, but we have to be careful, as he stated, of, of what we uh, read and study. Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2, but it is a lot of truth in Judaism. If, if it wasn't, Yeshua would not have endorsed it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. All right, so there's nothing wrong with traditions that don't go against the Word of God. So that that's very important to understand that. Uh, many people don't understand that, and, and they... Um, like in Matthew 15, verse 1. Let me read this to you. Then came to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 15, verse 1, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now, this tradition is not in the Bible, but it, but it makes void the law of Elohim. And it's a problem. That's why I don't do it. Verse 3, But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So, if any tradition transgresses the law or, or influences you not to obey the teachings and doctrines and laws of God, then you don't do it. So that that's the key. So in, in verse 9 of this chapter, he says, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he doesn't want you doing that. He doesn't want you doing that. So if there's anything, any tradition, whether it's Judy, Judaic tradition or any other tradition that encourages you not to obey or believe the words of God, then you are not, uh, you should not uh, carry on that tradition. Okay, so on the Jewish calendar, Tubishvat is the 26th of January of this year on a Shabbat, and on the biblical calendar, Tubishvat is estimated to be on the 28th of, of January. So, I, I say that because I know some people listening to me, they go by the Jewish calendar still, and, and some other people that listen to me go by the New Moon calendar. So, this is how we celebrate this day, uh, to Bishvat. You can plant trees in the land of Israel. Uh, if you go to my newsletter at the end of this program by going to my website, www.mercifulserviceofgod.com, I include a website that you can do this if you want to plant trees in the land of Israel. Uh, nurture, you can repot house plants that need needed and to nurture the green and living things in your environment. I got this information also from First Fruits of Zion, excellent booklet on Tubishvat. It's called Plant Nurturing, Repairing, Providing, Giving, uh, pages uh, 27 to 30. Meditate, read and meditate on the Psalms of Ascent, which is uh, Psalms 120 to 134. Uh, provide a Tubishvat Seder. And that, that is uh, similar to the Passover Seder, with the exception, it's all f full of fruit. <laughs> and I provide a, a if, if you guys want information on that, you can email me, uh, or you can go to my website again and uh, wait for the drop-down box and fill out your information. You'll receive my monthly uh, newsletter, and it will, it will provide the current newsletter uh, for January and a link to how to have a two-bishvat Seder. Eat, you take time, of course, to eat from the seven species. 
uh, give, uh, remember to give to the poor and those in need to Bishvat is a good time to review or renew any monthly giving commitments you made the previous year or to make new monthly commitments. Repair. Make an attempt to repair any relationships that have been shattered. Uh, visit the sick. Volunteer to help the elderly. Volunteer at the soup kitchen. Uh, Matthew 25, verse 31 to 46. Create. Fun to crafts for kids. Uh, you can plant seeds for a garden in the spring. Draw pictures of trees and use colored tissue paper pieces for leaves. Have your kids clean their rooms and donate clothing and toys that are still in good condition to a local day for collections or a collections facility. And again, if you subscribe to my newsletter, I do provide information on uh, additional ways that uh, the kids can celebrate Tubishvat. Ultimately, Tubishvat pictures the restoration of the world to the Gan Eden state before the fall of Adam. And that's, that's what this really pictures. And uh, it's, it's a wonderful day to celebrate, and it pictures the, what the gospel is all about, the restoration, uh, you know, through the bride and the bridegroom, Yeshua, and his wife. They will play the role of restoring uh, mankind to his original state of not dying, of not being in a state of decay. And, and that's what the Bible indicates uh, in, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. That's the husband and wife relationship. We're, we're joint heirs with Christ. Um, that we suffer him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Verse 19, for, let me read this in, because I don't like when it says creature, that means creation. The creation waits, in, in the complete Jewish Bible version, verse 19, the creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. The sons of God is the wife of Yeshua. Verse 20, for the creation was made subject to frustration, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it, but it was given a reliable hope. Verse 21, that it too would be set free from its bondage to decay. And that's the universe. You see all these planets. and you, 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 It's like there was some kind of battle or, or some kind of dis destruction that, that went on. But anyway, it's in a state of decay. And it states here in verse 21 that it would be set free from its bondage to decay and would de enjoy the freedom accompanying the glory that God's children will have. We know that until now the whole creation has been groaning as with the pains of childhood and not only it, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we continue waiting eagerly to be made sons, that is, to have our whole bodies redeemed and set free. It was in this hope that we were saved. All right, so that's the important thing to understand here, ladies and gentlemen, that the Bible reveals, and let me read it in the uh, trusty King James here. Uh, it says, because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we have something to do with the creation, which is in a state of decay right now, to not be in a state of decay. That's what the gospel is about as well. It's in a state of corruption right now. Death entered the world through one man, Adam. The last Adam, the reverse is happening. We're getting back to the Gan Eden state through the Messiah. That's what this is all about. And that and one of the ways that we're gonna to have to do that, um we have to bear fruit and we have to understand that if we don't bear fruit, we won't be a part of any of this. And Luke chapter three is pretty plain here, um verse seven. Then he said, this is, uh, excuse me, this is Yohanan uh, <laughs> the Immerser, verse 7. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized or immersed of him, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Okay, the picture of us being a tree. Fruits to Bishvat. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance and begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham 
to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the trees. Here we go again to Bishvah, that picture. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 10, and the people asked him, saying, what shall we do then? And I don't blame him. I'll be asking the same thing because I don't want to be cast into the fire. Verse 11, he answered and said to them, he that has two coats, let him impart to him that have none. And he that have meat, let him do likewise. So we got to do something. Verse 12, then came also publicans or tax collectors to be immersed. And he said unto them, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed to you. We need to have Yohanan um, go to Congress or the president and say this <laughs> about our taxes. But anyway, verse 14, and the, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said to him, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Be content. Don't greedily desire something to the point of damaging your family. There's nothing wrong with trying to improve, but if you just not ever satisfied with the money you're making, that's that's a problem. You know, unless, of course, is is you know, you're working at McDonalds and can't support your family, it's different. But if you're making a decent amount of money, it's like, Oh, I want more. Oh, I want more that's what he's talking about. <laughs> so we we can't have that type of attitude, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um let's understand something. In Mark chapter one, verse fifteen. He stated, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And the gospel is all about the kingdom of God in verse 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus, in the King James Version, came into Galilee preaching the gospel of what? The good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about the entire universe. It's about being a part of that. Yes, it involves uh, the bride and the bridegroom. It involves a lot of things, but it's about restoring the world to its original state, the state of eternity, a state of non-corruption. Verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe it. Believe it. And then what is it about? What is the gospel about really, folks? Sure, again, it, 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 it pictures the bride and, and the husband. But, but what are the bride and the husband supposed to do? Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 3. Uh, this is when John had asked, while he was in prison, why, uh, if, if uh, Yeshua is the Messiah. And Matthew 11, verse 3, and he said to them, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? In verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and show John again these things which you do hear and see. In verse 5, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Okay? So that's what we should be individually doing. We should be helping people. We should be giving the blind sight to see and, and the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. And and because he, he did state in John 14, verse 12, let me just turn here here real quick. And this is not a lie here. He can't lie. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And so the problem is us. We don't have enough faith or trust. And because of that, we're not doing the greater works than what he did on the earth, even though in the first century they did. But he stated that we, he would always be with us, even until the time of the end, and or the end of the age, in Matthew chapter 28, the last uh, sentence there. So what applied then applies today as well. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Luke 4, verse 18 says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised and then preach the acceptable year of the Lord, which is, has everything to do with his second coming. So, again, the gospel message is a, is a message of repairing the world to its original state, uh, of caring about people, 
of healing people. That's what the gospel is all about as well, symbolized by the holiday of Tubishvat, which is definitely a holiday that we should be celebrating. And it's a very positive holiday. And ultimately, let's go back to that scripture again about the gospel, Second Timothy 1, verse 10. It states here, uh, but is now made manifest. Well, actually, I'll start in verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, Second Timothy 1, verse 9. Not according to our works, so the works don't save us, but the works do prove to God that we believe him, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, verse 10, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Yeshua Messiah, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through what? The gospel, through the gospel. All right? And in Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11. For Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. He didn't enter in the holy place on the earth, but the holy place in heaven, having obtained eternal redemption for, for us. So he, he obtained eternal life for us, ladies and gentlemen by his shed blood. Okay? And verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, so that's all that it did. It purified the flesh to be able to be in the presence of Yah. It did not take away sins. Verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God to purge your conscience or your mind from dead works, to serve the living God. That's why he died, to give us the ability through the Holy Spirit, which is explained in John chapter 14, the Comforter, to give us the ability to keep the commandments so that we can purge wickedness, the thought of wickedness, uh, this evilness from our minds. That can only be done through the Holy Spirit. It could not be done through the sacrifices and offerings. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, or the Torah, uh, not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually make the comers perfect. And that's the goal to make us complete uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. That's the goal, to make us complete. Verse 2, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscious of sins. That's the goal. To, to Conscious means soon desis in, in, um, or sunedesis in Greek. It means the perception of sin. He doesn't even want us thinking about it. And that can only be accomplished through the Holy Spirit. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again of sins made every year. Verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of goats and uh, the bulls and of goats should take away sins. So that's what Yeshua did. Through, if we continue to repent, if we continue to take his word seriously, then we will be able to uh, stop sinning. And John chapter three, First John chapter three, explains that if we do sin, then we have the Holy Spirit. We have Christ's sacrifice to rely on to help us overcome that particular sin. So with that, may Elohim bless and keep you. And Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom. Peace. I invite you to subscribe to our free newsletter. To subscribe, go to www.mercifulserviceofgod.com and wait for the drop-down box. Or, if you're on Facebook, the Facebook box. Enter your name and email address. When you confirm your subscription, Elohim willing, you will receive emails about the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of Elohim. Additionally, you will receive emails about various Bible topics. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name 
shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 